Good morning, people of this planet. This is the one and the only Stream of Random podcast, where a select group of people, a very small group of people, gather around the campfire to hear some stories from some crazy person walking in the middle of the night. The difference between a casual walker and a dedicated walker is if you go out in the rain in the drizzle, and I'm out in the drizzle in cloudy Virginia, cannot see any stars, but the weather is very nice, and um, there's no real... It's not actually really drizzling at all. A couple of really tiny drops. Yeah, so yesterday was our big anniversary. And we had a great day. We went to the... um, We rented a boat. and we, we, We chartered a sailboat with captain and uh, it was semi-private but the other people bailed out so we had it all to ourselves and um, I got the boat up to 14 and some miles per hour he had his GPS we did 30 some miles 28 miles uh, in the bay next to Yorktown I think it was the James River the bay and um, we had good wind it was like a 30 foot boat and um, we really really enjoyed it and um, I got the captain to helm the ship and so did Ariana and Ghent we all took turns and uh, it all came back to me I remember my dad used to take us sailing and it all came back to me somehow. And it was a really great experience. So thanks, Dad, for taking us sailing. That was uh, a great experience. <clears throat> and the captain said, this is the last freedom in America. They've taken our guns, but they can't take our ships. And he said this was his 15th boat. Or if he had a 15 years or 7th boat, anyway, he's had boats for quite some time. Yeah, we had fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Oh, and we had a whole pack of, a pod of dolphins following us. And they were jumping up right next to the ship. And Gant was singing to them. And, um... They kept on following us the whole time. And it was so beautiful. Uh, yeah. So uh, yesterday, uh, I've been listening to this podcast on art, a book, New Books Network, on some theories of art. And I learned about this conceptual art 
where they would just write words on the walls and stuff like that and call it art. And uh, <clears throat> Saul, Solomon, LeWitt, or DeWitt, um, is the one artist that they, that stood out. And he, um, he, uh, made this art where he conceived of it totally before, um, he executed it. And his conceptions were basically mathematical programs to, um, to create the art, like algorithmic. And he would even give the, um, he would even give the, uh, instructions to other people to run, who would follow his instructions exactly create his art and he wrote that the uh, machine the art creates the machine that creates the art so I think he's on to the meme idea the meme creates the machine that creates the meme and it's kind of getting into the self-replicating systems ideas that we're talking about on this show um, now, I listened to it, they talked about these different people who wrote different texts on the walls and how someone wrote in neon and someone wrote in crayon, and depending on their style, you know, the style of the artist is like, this person wrote their text like this, and this person wrote their text like that. And uh, he mentioned one idea that was pretty good. He said, um, this guy just wrote on the wall everything that you're not thinking of right now, everything in your mind that you're not thinking of right now, which is a pretty cool thought experiment. It's like, what are the things that you're not thinking of right now? Right? And then... Um, Whew, let me pull up my hoodie. Now the water's getting in my face. And then it's like, well, what am I not thinking of right now? And then you start thinking about that thing. And then you stop thinking about his art or his message. And you can come back to that, for example. <clears throat> so I guess it would make you bounce back and forth between, you could bounce back and forth between that message and anything else in your mind. <clears throat> so that's kind of an interesting thought experiment. And that's conceptual art. And then they said that all art is an idea that's being expressed. And the conceptual artists are just making the minimalist. But even the uh, 
Da Vinci. Mona Lisa is just an idea, basically, he's trying to say. And I don't know what that idea is. Oh, by the way, we had perfect weather yesterday. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. <coughs> absolutely perfect. Yeah, it is starting to pick up on the rain right now. But here in the stream of random podcasts, we don't give up with a little bit of rain getting a little bit wet as long as we're safe yeah and I was trying to explain to my wife the idea of the um, postmodernism postmodernist thought and uh, neo-marxism and the idea of the safe space I said my safe space is defined as anything I want it to be. And it requires no justification whatsoever. And there's no discussion at all as to why you might be invading my safe space because that would be giving in to the, um, to the oppressor to even discuss anything with them. So she thought that was enlightening. So, um, in terms of election, I'm going to call Virginia for Trump, just based on the count of the signs. Um, We did that in Pennsylvania in 2016. We said definitely Trump's going to win, based on signage. And um, Adam Curry also called it for Trump, and he said that uh, there's going to be a lot of hystericals going on if uh, if it actually happens. I guess we're going to get ready for another worldwide protest. But it also could go the other way. And if Biden wins, my prediction is that Hillary will be president within a year. First, they're going to kill him off. And then Kamala will be president, and then she's going to... She's going to appoint Hillary as her vice president, if that even works. I don't know what the rules of succession are. And then... We're just going to go to war in um, Syria as soon as possible. Over the five states, Syria, Libya, oh well, Palestine, Iran. Yeah, basically, we're going to go to war with Iran. So... We'll see. I don't want to make this into a political show. Um, I mean, sure, we like to discuss 
the philosophy of Marxism and the philosophy of communism, but that's just from a philosophical point of view. I don't want to... Uh, I'd rather discuss the ideas, not the embodiment of these ideas in revolting flesh piles called humans. So, um, so yesterday we covered the idea of sampling, and um, I started to write down my thesis in latex form. I found this online latex editor, which is pretty cool. Leaf, leaf note or something, and um, I'm following that standard. And um, and I'm looking using an ACM template, American Computing Machinery. I'm looking at each element. Now the ACM copyright definitely not friendly to open source and um, I'm thinking we should uh, come up with those templates for an open source um, entry like Creative Commons for self-publication on a blog my journal will be my blog. So we'll see what happens with that. And uh, my thesis is basically going to say that introspection is a function that delivers um, pages of insight to a human from an existing code base and we're going to try and uh, define that mathematically somehow so we'll see how far we can get with that Can you prove it or disprove it? Is it falsifiable or not? I mean, if we're just making statements that can't be disproved, I guess they have no meaning. So, we're gonna have to work on all of that. Um, I mean, I guess we could work it out right now. Now is always the best time. Like, what is actually our thesis? What exactly is my thesis, my theory? And can you prove it?
what is the theory? The fact that you can extract interesting things from a program. Okay. But what does that mean? What does that even mean? You know, Turing talked about how something could be executed. They defined some machine. And I guess we could define some machine to execute these things, and we could say that there was a purpose in what's being done that could only be understood by a human. That's not understood by the machine. A clue. And that this clue could be written in 8th grade, eighth grade English. And you could test it by sending someone to an island in Hawaii with no internet, with just a copy of the program. They could read it and they could understand it. listen to a podcast they could get some general idea of it a narrative and um, I guess we could get into literary theory and art theory and say that there was ideas or concepts being embedded in this narrative and that those ideas and concepts correspond somehow to the concepts of the program we show a correlation a connection if we show that we have a single source code well see this is where we go do we have a single source code or not so I'm thinking we have a body of code and a body of text that are combined into a context and that somehow can associate them to each other using understanding of the natural language combined with understanding of the computing language combined with examples and executions and understanding of the runtime for small sets subsets of the language of the core the core system
as we define the bootstrap, the system compiling itself and testing itself, that this would be understandable and the execution could be understandable. Good morning. Stop our recording in a second. Okay, now we're round two. Round two, we got some coffee. The rain's picked up a little bit. Hope this mic doesn't get destroyed. But if it does, we're gonna get ourselves a waterproof mic. So, basically we're saying that the idea is that uh, there's some huge caterpillars crawling around here, oh my god. The idea is expressed in the art. So that's the theme of today's show. And the computer program is just art that when it executes it produces the art it produces something that we consider to be art it's the embodiment of an idea that's encoded in there so we have an idea that we encode we have an idea that we encode somehow, in some language, in this podcast, and then that idea can be, if it's a computer program, it can be executed, and um, if it's the introspector, it will produce you shiny graphs 
and interactive displays that you can use to understand the program produce you documentation because the literate program is just I guess we're just talking about an, a different form of literary with a twist okay so here's we're getting down to the crux of this I'm gonna bring in different pieces so the literary program says that the documentation and the code are combined and woven together with a single source that is then split and the introspector says they're not they're split and that the user can bring them together with help of these tools sometimes depending on the amount of information that you have you can bring them together and decode them and decoding them means that you're coming up with an idea or you're finding the idea and connecting the idea so the idea might be embedded or encoded into multiple places and you have to um, am I going in the right direction? I don't think so I think I made the wrong turn the idea might be um, embedded in multiple places and then we have to um, bring it together you have to connect it so you might have an email over here a podcast over there and a, um, a document over here that are all part of the context and those will lend meaning to the code and the theory is is that the open source stuff will um, naturally give more meaning to code because of its nature also because we have access to the source code and that this functional view, the superfluous view and the loop invariant view especially the superfluous, superfluous because for the function of domination let's put it, th let's start with that for the function of domination the um, all understanding is superfluous Okay, let's go there. If you're trying to dominate someone, you're just going to give them explicit orders and you say, do this or die. Right? You don't need to understand. Just give me your money or your life. Right? This is a stick up. So that's your basic, that's your basic principle. Right? Your money or your life. Blombe. What was it? Silver or lead? Yeah. Let me just make sure I'm going in the right freaking direction here.
Okay, I was going the right way the, the first time. So, double track, backtrack. Yeah, so silver or lead, your money or your life. That's the value proposition right there. That's basically domination, right? Now we might have more in different forms of that. Give this your taxes, we'll put you in jail. Right? Eat shit or die. And, um... Of course, you get to choose where you want to live. You get to choose... If you want to live in New Jersey and pay high taxes, or you want to live in Kansas and pay low taxes. Right? Like, okay, I gotta talk about this one. So our teacher uses this tool called Seesaw. And her free trial expired. Can you imagine? Her free trial expired. So now she's locked in to using this tool, and now she's begging us for money um, so she can continue to use it. So originally I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna make a big stink about this. But then I talked to my wife, and in the spirit of being a team player, we made a compromise. So we gave her some money, which has a matching donation, supposedly. And then we said, um, you know, thank you. You're an excellent teacher. We want to support you. Right? Because we're also learning, and this is one podcast that I have not covered, which is the um, falsification of beliefs and sentiment falsification where they were basically saying that the um, people are falsifying their sentiment under communism. They were saying that they support the communism, but they didn't. And then finally, things broke, and it broke down so quickly because um, nobody really supported it. They were lying about supporting it and hiding the fact. And... Um, I think that's also what I did. I, I said, you know, but we do think she's a good teacher. But I wrote to her, I said, you know, we think you're a great teacher. We want to support you, but we're, you know, we're paying so much in taxes here for, in New Jersey. Um, you know, maybe we can talk about, I'd like to talk to you about some alternatives. Right? Like, why do we need this Seesaw app? Why can't we use something else? And on this topic, guys, I really want to just point out that we have millions and millions and millions of online classes now, millions and millions and millions of courses being created, paid for by taxpayers, that are all being kept secret, let's say. They're not being shared. Everyone's like, oh, it's mine, 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 mine. And, um, I guess that's the deal we signed up for, but in the end, if they were to actually just pool these resources together and share them, 
we would have such an incredible amount of information available, right? Like, why does it have to be... Why does it have to all be kept um, proprietary? Okay. I guess the teacher's got to eat. So, um, that's my little aside here on this topic. So we're going to go back to our theory, our thesis, that we have a literary... Some, we have, we're going to have to engage some kind of literary theory, some kind of art theory, and say that the... Um, that the program is a multifunctional... Well, the program has an intent. And that its intent is some embodiment of some idea, some concept. And um, when the program is executed, it does some function. And um, we might have to limit this whole thing to certain functions for now. We might want to limit the power of this whole idea, um, what concepts. But, um, so the, f the code is some function, takes some input, transforms it to some output, and um, this function has some meaning to people. It's embodied of some idea. The output has some meaning to people. It embodies some idea. And then, um, so we can look at it from an art or a literary perspective. It exists in some power structure, some context that gives it meaning. Ooh, that's good coffee. And now, we want to um, repurpose this code and have it execute for a different purpose, which is that of understanding. <clears throat> so instead of executing the code directly, we're going to execute it in a different manner, or interpret it in a different manner, for the purposes of visualization. And we're going to try and connect it with the documentation by applying some natural language processing, I guess, to the text, 
or even just assuming I guess we can disambiguate some of the text by the model expressed in the code. I mean, that's my original thesis, that the model of the code will help, will be the key to understanding the concepts of language written about it. But how do you understand the model of the code? So it's a chicken and the egg problem. You have to then get clues from the you have to get clues from the text <clears throat> and the text might not be bringing things down to the eighth grade level so maybe bridges need to be built Okay, so this is kind of where we're going with our theory. So that's the theory is that we can create better algorithms for understanding text if we have, if that text is about a program, that we could have a certain amount of corpus about that program. And we can decide whether or not this piece of text is about what part of the program. Or we can start by narrowing and creating probabilities. So we can start saying that this sentence or this paragraph is probably about this and probably about that. And um, depending on the style of text, I think we could find out more and more rules, and we could introduce rules and patterns. And then once we reach the point where that's not working, we can engage deeper and deeper um, machine learning type things. Okay. So yeah, and then the other thesis would be that um, in these systems that are self-describing, given enough source code and the whole bootstrap system, you'll find that every part of the system that you can see is described by another part of the system that you can see. So it's kind of like an open book where every part is used to build every other part and we can bootstrap it all from some basics. So let's put this on pause and start with a new segment.
Okay, kids. So now we've gotten through this first part where I had to get some of this stuff off my chest. And I think, um... You know, we could also continue on and say, well, concepts are being created by philosophers in the context of their time, not as absolute truths. but as um, useful tools and that source code embodies those concepts you know, data structures and so forth and that those concepts are useful tools useful idiots that's what John was saying the other day and um that the um, there's no absolute truth in any of it or maybe the concepts are at a higher level than what are directly embodied and I think we're going to try and I think we're going to try and take some existing system and prove this inform this theory <clears throat> and that'll be part of the thesis is that we're actually going to deliver a proof by example of how it could work And show that we can come up with sufficient look at all this money on the ground there's like a dollar and quarters here on the ground but uh, I don't want to be seen as crawling around in the rain in this town picking up quarters because they're gonna look at me like I'm a homeless person I will note that there is a, not as much racial diversity here as where I live. But I did see a lot of girls wearing black masks. I suppose that is some form of um, statement. So that's what we're trying to get to, is we could take some existing program and try and extract concepts out of it and document them, you know. And um, I guess this goes back to the idea of 
the semantic web and the web ontology language and um, using that to document concepts. Now, so I got caught up with that is um, see where I was missing my information. So I have these compiler graphs and sure I could fit them and describe them using the web ontology language and describe all the fields and all that but the fields that I'm describing and I could create a, an OWL ontology to handle all those fields the low levels and basically we could create one out of the um, the structures combined with the text we could create a, some kind of ontology um, but where it gets interesting is that we have also a correspondence somehow between and this is where it gets really tricky like just because you document the structure of the graph doesn't mean you document the contents of the graph right so we can document all the fields for example um, there's so many different layers to this but the web ontology language expects things to be in a certain format and to be basically handcrafted um, and the thing is is that these programs are actually creating ontologies like they're actually describing things so we have an ontology in one form an incompatible form right it's encoded the ontology is encoded in the program itself right and only by interpreting that code can we extract and bring it into the form that would be expected um, by an existing ontology system so we have basically in these terms we have graphs that describe ontologies have the web ontology language and we have something that is an equivalent document but in a different language and we could describe a different language as in using the verbs of the web ontology language and then we could try and map the one onto the other in so many different ways
transform them. So that's where it gets kind of interesting. And that's where I also got stuck mentally. Because I was lacking the theories. Whoa, what the fuck? Look, I'm flying around the corner here. I was lacking the theories to, to, to the complexity to grasp all of this. And some of it's pretty tricky. So basically, you have concepts that are encoded, <clears throat> in many different forms, different types of art. All these different layers of the system. And I guess we could go over those layers. And we've tried to many times in this podcast. So we got, let's just say we got lots of layers, lots of different aspects. And um, we have all of these different these different ways of looking at a concept it's either directly defined let's say in a human text like definition um, a point has an A and a B and corresponds two integers to each other right? like that's a simple concept An atomic one. Oh, I'm back on the Duke of Gloucester Street. So have just a, t a data type point in some program right that would be a straightforward concept and then we could think of a thousand different encodings for that encoded into some graph some language some syntax defined by some source code Right. So we're going to get into a whole bunch of different representations. <clears throat> and we have other concepts that are put together to construct that. All right. 
So if we implement a programming language in a programming language, then we're using the concepts of the programming language to define the concepts of the programming language. <coughs> Stop the hammering! Right? So, for our theory, we're just going to say that we have source code that is used to define these concepts and that we have functions that can interpret that source code in a certain way. And this is where we get, it gets really interesting, where the source code itself, encoded into some graph, can be interpreted. And the source code itself, encoded in some graph, defines on how to interpret it. And the source code in itself, defined in some graph, defines all the data types. So the whole system is basically like a function that takes a bunch of parameters, which are different parts of the graph, Like, take this little subsection of that graph over there, and this section of this graph over here. And um, this section of this graph over here. And we're going to be referencing different parts of the graph. And a function that takes lots of parameters. And we're going to use that to generate a function that can interpret that graph, or interpret parts of that function. <coughs> so in order to interpret this piece of the graph here, we need these pieces over there. In order to, to interpret those over there, we need these over here. And eventually, we're going to break it down to a bootstrap function. Um, and we can define some generic pieces. and some generic algorithms that can be used to, to interpret the whole thing. So that's my theory. Okay. Well, that's part of it. And I guess we can... Um, find these concepts in a paper of some kind. Alright. And um, so we can write this paper and we can declare these concepts and explain them clearly. 
and say these are concepts defined for humans in this form as human consumable like latex journal entry um, And then um, yeah we can reference these things and say okay it's art and Yeah, I think we can uh, we can make this swing. We can try and reference all the existing work that we can find that helps support this concept. <coughs> so, what's the theory, though? Like, what's the actual theory? Well, Okay, we have this bootstrap theory, okay, that's one. And we have the idea that we can transform these uh, graphs into different ontologies, different forms, and we can transform them to web ontology language, which gives them meaning. Okay. And I also think we could probably say, well, we can transform an existing program that uses these structures to record the instances in web ontology language. And then um, be able to dump the memory at some point to capture And I mean, we even talk. We haven't even talked about the whole idea of the, the logging of the um, processing. Like we took the uh, the static data analysis type view. Like, oh, we're going to stop it at some point, and it has all the data collected. How did the data get there? What are all the steps to get there? And can we construct it that way? Or is that superfluous information? Yeah, so that's kind of getting in back to our idea of superfluous information and what's absolutely necessary, what's not necessary. What is uh, domination? What's the context?
<clears throat> so are these uh, free roaming ideas with unlimited resources or are they constrained embodied into limited worlds there's horse poop on the street I guess they run the horses during the day So it looks like we got some pretty good ideas here. Good morning. Looks like we got some pretty good ideas here. Um, poop. So, um, And then if we attack this problem, like we've got all these different layers of um, <clears throat> little tools in our bootstrap system, little scripts, little programs that all kind of exist in some kind of functional manner, like little sed scripts, little aux scripts, little bash scripts, M4, all this crap. Like we're gonna have to attack all of that and have a unifying principle <clears throat> of functions. These are all just little functions, little snippets of functions that are kind of like in line, either generating code, transforming text of some kind. <clears throat> Luckily we found Haskell, which can handle all of that and we can basically create equivalent Haskell uh, definitions to solve it I think so we could probably express a lot of the stuff in a common language foundational language and then build it up from there Good morning. Okay. No good morning. I guess you got a wave as well. These houses are all in one color. Good morning. Yeah. Okay, we reached the end of this street here. And the American flag still waves. It used to be British.
looks like a British flag. It's the American flag with a British British thingy on the Union Jack on there. Well, that's kind of weird. I guess it's some historical significance. A little offensive, though. Yeah, there are these caterpillars everywhere. They're just crawling all over the place. Let's check our time. Okay. So I guess we're gonna get into loop invariance now. So what if the whole idea of a concept is a loop invariant? It's like we have this loop over all these graphs and we want to pull out the constants that will be the same in all of them. And those are concepts. These constants are the concepts. And we're really just trying to solve some problem and um, we really, it's just this one version of the code where we're doing this. So it's good for this period of time. Um, yeah, this looks like a nice cafe. We're gonna grab some uh, croissants here. Okay, $5 for a croissant. $5 for a croissant, that's what I just paid. And uh, they look like they're straight out of the uh, tube. You know, the you pop open the tube and you uh, throw them in the oven type croissants. So, well, nothing I won't do for my uh, wife and her on her anniversary. But she'd probably kill me if uh, she knew I had to pay so much money for these croissants. But uh, once in 10 years, we can do it. And uh, I was just crazy. I saw the whole troop of girls uh, jogging down the street. I guess they were the uh, soccer team or something, a lacrosse team. It's about 20 girls all uh, running in their, in their, not bikinis, but whatever, their sports clothes in the rain. That was some sight. Now I might start picking up those quarters <clears throat> to pay for that food. Oh my god. So, um, where were we? Where were we talking? So we're just trying to talk about how to define meaning. And basically we're going to ground it in some other formalism. So we're going to look at established forms and just say 
that form is meaning. And if we put the data in this form, then it'll be this style. And if it's in this style, this form, it'll be amenable, it'll be acceptable to someone <clears throat> who's used to seeing something in this form. And um, that's basically what we're talking about here. So we can start by saying, we can go from code to concept. put the concept in this form and we'll have this code to assist in that process but it's basically going to be a human process and that um, I guess later we could introduce machine learning to help aid that. And then once we have the concepts defined, we could go from concept to check if the, it matches the code. Or we could try and extract concepts from existing code or help extract them. We just said that. <clears throat> so to think about this some more okay well, I'm gonna finish this up we got another 20 minutes or so before we get back and um, but basically we're talking about a decomposition of functions and um, so functions are being composed by other functions things being put together um, <clears throat> in some kind of expression Well, it looks like the goodwill might be open. I'm just gonna cross here.
the um, the graphs we've been exploring can be represented as um, functions being concatenated or the results of functions being concatenated together in um, lists or as parameters to other functions. So we can have a functional representation of the graph and um, that's what I'm working on for the introspector stuff. And eventually that's going to turn into the um, some better models. But basically But basically, all of these things uh, are um, representing some function by some other functions, right? Even the lambda calculus is like, oh yeah, well we got lambda x, and that's in a replacement. And sure, we could just use lambda x, but that's not really that interesting. We want a little bit more meat to it. Um, because once you get to those lambda x functions, you start to lose all uh, concepts. It's a very low level concept. So we want to try and use higher level concepts as much as possible. And those are defined on top of lower ones. <clears throat> but in the end, it might just be a lambda x that runs the whole thing. And it's like, okay, well, we have a function that takes a program and it spits out a concept, right? We have a program that takes a concept and spits out a program or it maps a program onto a, a concept, correlates a concept and a program together, compares two concepts, etc, etc. And, um, I mean, sure, I could take a program and spit out a graph, all types of graphs and statistics, which could help a user uh, develop concepts. So by involving the user, we're going to develop concepts so that we can then go directly from the code to a concept. How's that sound for definition? So not only from code to executable, but from a code to a concept. And this is basically literary functions, literary programming without the literals. So code plus documentation plus context, plus the secret sauce, equals concepts. How's that sound? Okay. Well, that's enough for today, kids. Um, and I will talk to you on our next episode.